Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. So we're going to read scripture. All right, and that's okay. It's good to do that in the house of God. But we're going to Mark chapter 11, and this is the, um, the entry, the triumphal entry, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It starts kind of the, the Passion Week, the week where, where Jesus, if you read the Gospels, there's you know, a good percentage of the Gospels are dedicated to this week from when he enters Jerusalem All the things he says, all the things he does until he's crucified on a cross and then rises again three days. And about that last week of Jesus' life, those last five chapters in Mark is all about um, what happened. And so if you go to verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and, and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody says, What are you doing? Say, The Lord has need of it, and send it back here immediately. Verse 4, They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said, they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So, a few things we want to point out there. Number one, wouldn't it be kind of fun to be the guy that Jesus sent to go steal a donkey? Because that's, that's pretty much what he did, although I guess, you know, he had permission, the guy knew. And I broke this off of a tree, and I told the tree, the Lord has need of it. So, although it's not the Lord, it's really just me. But we have this image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on, on a foal, on this, this animal that was not an animal of war. And you've you got to get that in your head. Jesus this is actually fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, where it says, Behold, O Israel, your king has come, lowly, humble, riding on a donkey, or riding on a foal. But, but there's a prophecy. Jesus is coming into town, and he's coming peacefully. A donkey is not an animal of war. There are no great stories of soldiers rushing into cities on donkeys, taking things over. Donkeys are an instrument of peace because they're used for, like, taking care of your fields and your crops and doing work around that you need in order to survive. And, and for Jesus to ride into town on a donkey, he's saying, I'm coming in in peace. In fact, there's another coming of Christ where he's not, it's told he won't be on a donkey. He will be on a white horse. He's not coming for peace at that time. But right now we're in a season, we're in an age where Jesus has entered in and he's come 
to his city. And you got to put this in perspective of, of all that God had promised from the time of Abraham. And Abraham had this, the, these children, and they had children, and they turned into this nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel um, went to Jerusalem and, and made it their city. And they had this temple, and they had their, their throne for where their king sat. And so you have Jesus entering in, and it's really the first time, if you read other places, Jesus would do a miracle, and he would heal somebody, and he says, don't tell anybody because it's not time yet. Just keep it between us, or he would do something great, and he would you know, not, not want it to be known. But now Jesus, and that's why this last week of his life is so important, he wants everybody to know who he is. So he fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah. He rides on this donkey, and he's coming in to his town with his people. And then you got to look at the reaction of the people. It says they went and they took leafy branches. And so Jesus is coming in, and you got a picture. It was almost like a parade. They took these leafy branches or their coats, and they lied, laid them down on the floor, and they gave him a walkway so that not even his donkey had to walk on the dirt. You know, it's like the red carpet treatment. But it makes like some specific, you know, look at verse 8. It says, he took these leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, which means save us now. So they're crying out to Jesus, who we know, we know, those of us who believe that, that he is the savior of the world, and they're crying out, save us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, like giving uh, this, this, this praise, this exaltation. And, it's, and it must have been an amazing scene. You had path is being made for him on, on branches, leafy branches, and on coats. The disciples are coming in. And it's amazing that seven days later, this city that welcomed him in would nail him to a cross. And so as we talk today about the entry, Jesus entering into somewhere, and how people receive him, uh, you're, you're going to see kind of what I believe Jesus is, is, is teaching us here. Go to verse 11. It says, and he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he looked around at everything and it was already late and he went to Bethany with the 12. So picture the king coming in. He rides in on his donkey. He, he approaches the temple. He sits there. He looks around at everything. And let me tell you something. When Jesus looks at us, he looks at everything. He's looking at everything. He's not just looking at the outside. He's looking at the hearts. And then you're going to see something in verse 12, which is why I took the, you know, I damaged that tree out there. Forgive me. But it says, the following day when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. Verse 13, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went over to it to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to them, may, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. See, I just find it interesting that, that Mark is making a, a point to talk about the word leaves. And as I, as I was thinking about that, you know, Jesus goes up to this tree and it has leaves, it's showing 
You know, figs usually bring out their leaves and their fruit at a similar time, and it's, it's showing that there should be fruit there. It's, it's almost acting like it's a fruitful bush, but Jesus goes up and he inspects it, and remember, he sees everything. And he says, there's no fruit here, and he curses the tree. And I thought about, you know, back even in the Garden of Eden, isn't it funny how, you know, Adam and Eve, they were supposed to to live off of the fruit, like they were supposed to eat the fruit of the land, and then all of a sudden they sin, they turn from God, they disobey, they do what they're not. They turn to some leaves. In other words, they were supposed to live off the fruit and be good, but now, now if we read the story, they realize they're naked and they grab leaves, and I can't even imagine making clothes out of this. You, it would be bad for all of us, but they, they covered themselves up with leaves. And then you have this city, Jerusalem, welcoming Jesus. And they're waving these leafy branches. And you have this fig tree that has all these leaves, but there's no fruit there. And I think Jesus is teaching us is when he comes to us. Because not only does Jesus, did Jesus come into Jerusalem. In fact, I read some scholars and they looked at the prophecy of Daniel, I believe it's Daniel chapter 9, when it talks about how many weeks it would be until the king returns to Jerusalem. And, you know, if you take the Babylonian calendar and the Julian calendar and you turn it all into days, somebody said that they believe, and, you know, it might be right, April 6th, A.D. 32, would have been the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And as he enters into there and he looks around, he was looking for fruit. Now, how do I know he was looking for fruit? John the Baptist, if we go back all the way to, um, I believe it's Mark um, or Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is talking about fruit. Jesus in John chapter 15 is, you know, let, let's go to John chapter 15, verse 1 real quick, and we're going to come back to Mark. But in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 6, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Jesus is talking about fruit. He's talking about looking for fruit. When he came into the city, he was looking for fruit. But what do people often do? We bring some leaves, some of our own works, some of our own things that we think are good enough. And we use those own works, just like Adam used those, those leaves, to cover up the areas that we don't want others to see. And there's so many of us that when we feel God coming near or we sense Jesus entering into our lives, that we're quick to go to all these good works, all these things that, that we think are going to make God happy. But he's not looking for leaves. He's He's looking for fruit. He's looking for something to come out of our lives that is good and that is sweet. In verse 15, we see where Jesus goes to look for fruit in Jerusalem first. 
He goes in, we're in uh, Mark chapter 11 again, verse 15. We're going to continue there. So if you want to flip back. Jesus goes and he looks for fruit. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple. I mean, where else should fruit be but in God's temple? Where else should fruit be now but in God's church? We talk about like, oh, we welcome you, Jesus, and we want you here, but just know that when he comes, he's looking for fruit. And it's not good enough just to have leaves, our own works, and our own righteousness. So, so he comes to Jerusalem, he enters the temple. You would think out of all the places in the city where fruit should be found, the temple should be it. This is where the sacrifices happen. This is where the worship of God happens. It says he begins to drive out those who sold. He says he overturned, drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Isn't it amazing? He goes to find fruit. He goes to the temple. You would think that's where it would be. That's where the holy people would be. That's where the people that really love God would be. But he shows up in there, and there's these people that have turned his temple just into any other business, into something profane. That just means not holy. They're buying and they're selling. And, and you know, some of us, we love this story. Some guys, this is the only Bible story you remember. Because you hear Jesus kicking over temples and driving people out. But he was not happy. There was no fruit there. See, there's two ways that God gets glory from what I see in the Bible. There's two ways. One way he gets glory by showing his love and his goodness to his people. And that is a glorious thing. When God finds somebody who doesn't deserve it and somebody who, who is unlovable and he loves them anyway, and he pours their bless, his blessing and his love and his compassion, that brings God glory. The other way God gets glory is like what happened with Pharaoh. Sometimes people are ra risen up, and God brings judgment down on them. And what you're seeing here is Jesus getting glory by bringing judgment. And in fact, this whole city of Jerusalem would be burnt in not too many decades after this. In fact, the temple's not even there anymore. This temple that Jesus walked into when he cleared out the money changers, it's going to be gone in a few decades because the judgment of God is coming there. And I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, you want to have fruit in your life. Verse 17, he was teaching them and saying them, Isn't it written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, for all nations, but you made it a den of robbers. Jesus is saying this house, this should be a place of prayer, a place for all nations to come and, and to pray and to receive prayer and to, to experience like the, the good for them. They could buy, they could sell, you know, and imagine this. Imagine if you knew like your sins required a certain sacrifice. You know, whether it was pigeons or lambs or grain offerings, you knew that your sins required a certain sacrifice. And imagine if you lived in such a way that you just checked your bank account and you're like, huh, looks like I can afford this today. And you went and you do your sin and you do whatever you want to do because you know 
that you're just going to pay your sacrifice and everything's going to be okay. That's kind of the system that they were running in. And then you had people ripping them off. And in verse 18, it says, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him. Jesus signed his death warrant when he went into the temple. Because when you mess with the way society's set up and you mess with people's money, they want to kill you. The scribes heard it, the chief priests heard it, and they began to seek a way to destroy him. It's going to take them about six more days to get him on that cross. In fact, they're putting it down to like they got it to right before Passover. It took that whole time in order to have Jesus brought to the cross. Why? It says they feared him because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And oh God, I want you to see this. This same crowd that welcomed him with leafy branches and put the coats on the ground, the same crowd that is astonished by his teaching is the same crowd that would sign off on his death. That would say, you know what, we'll take Barabbas. That sent him to the cross. It's not enough to be astonished at his teaching. It's not enough to come and hear the word and learn something and, and be like, oh, that's great. That's, it's obviously not enough. There has to be a change. There have to be, you have to be connected to the vine. It said, and when evening came in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered it and said, Rabbi, look, that tree that you cursed, the one that didn't have any fruit on it, just leaves, it's withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into a sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This idea of fruit. In fact, I want you to see it. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. Flipping around a little bit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when Jesus saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But bear fruit. I'm sorry, this is not Jesus, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. See, this John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. The message was the king is coming, so bear fruit. Wasn't that what John the Baptist was saying there? Bear fruit. Who warned you? Bear fruit. It matters. That's before Jesus even started his ministry because soon in that chapter you'll read Jesus begins his ministry. And what does doing right now? I believe sure that we read, it said every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I have to remove. God, how? I mean, we, there's a message of grace, but we don't understand how, grace, how great grace is until we really understand the message of judgment. 
there'll be people that God will have to remove because they're not doing what he's called them to do. And it says, those of us that are bearing fruit, he'll prune. So what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, John 15, 8 through 11 talks about fruit that glorifies the Father. I'm going to turn these TVs off because they're distracting me too. John 15 talks about a fruit that says, By this my Father is glorified so that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. He's talking about a fruit. Again, this is in the end of John, near the end of his life. He's talking about this fruit that we bear that somehow glorifies God. It's not leaves that make us look good. It's fruit that points to the glory and the wonder and the grace of God. It says, my father is glorified and will prove to be his disciples. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to flip there with me. We'll start in verse 7. He's writing to believers. Paul is writing to believers and he's talking to them about their interactions with people who are not believers. And he says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but you are now children of light. Walk as children of light, for as the fruit of, for the fruit of the light is found in light. That's in verse 9. It talks about the fruit of the light is all that's good and right and true. We can't be good on our, our own. But I'm telling you, when God's spirit is inside you, you can be good. You can't be right on your own. But when you're connected to the branch, you can be right. And you don't know truth. I don't know truth on my own. But when we're connected to the truth of Jesus Christ, we can walk in true understanding and make sober judgment. None of this comes from ourselves, but it comes from him. And the, the question and the, the question is, is, is what are you bearing? If it's good, it's from him. If it's right, it's from him. If it's true, it's from him. But what we don't want to do is to try to cover ourselves with our own works. To try to hide ourselves. There's two things you can do when you hear a message like this. One is be like, oh man, God wants to see fruit. You know, I, I better act right. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to make sure I get to church more. I'm going to put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. You know, some of you need to take them off because you drive really bad, all right? So... You're not doing anything for the Lord. The other thing is, is that you hum good, Lord. Have mercy. Because you understand that's what the cross was about. Jesus went to the cross for everything bad, everything wrong, and for every lie that was ever told or believed. And if you have anything bad, anything wrong, or any lie you're believing or telling yourself, you need to be able to bring it to him. And humbly say, Father, this is who I am. And it's not right. I'm dropping my leaves. I'm dropping my own works. 
my own righteousness, and I want a righteousness that can't be found in me, that can only be found in you. The other popular passage about fruit, if you turn to the left in your Bible, if you're in Galatians, go left a little bit to the book of, I'm sorry, to the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, all right? So if the Spirit is in us, this should be the fruit that is coming out of us, love. Anything that's not of love is not of the Spirit. Joy, any depression or hopelessness is, is not of the Spirit. J peace. Any anxiety means you're not trusting him. That's why the Bible says, cast your anxieties on him. If, if you're walking around in anxiety and fear, it's because you think you have to do it yourself. Patience. Patience comes from faith because you understand God's timing is perfect. And even though it's not my timing, I know God's timing is perfect. So if it hasn't happened yet, it must not be right. It must not be the right time. And, and, and I'm okay with that. Kindness. Treating people with kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Staying with something. Not just changing every time something gets hard and, and looking for something new. But you know, what, what fruit ever came out of any plant that you were just like, let's put it here. Oh, it's not growing yet. The trees for a living, and you got to put them in the ground and let them sit there and faithfully water and faithfully fertilize. And God is faithful to bring the fruit. Gentleness. That's power under control. Self-control. Man, aren't those... Does anybody value self-control in our society anymore? It's not self-control, it's self-gratification. If I want it, then I'm going to get it now. All those things. It says, against such there is no law. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for the fruit of the light, things that are good, that are right, that are true. He's looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things that which there is against no law. And I would say that's what Jesus was looking for when he walked into Jerusalem. He didn't find it. He told them, I don't see it here. Clean this temple out. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And what did the people do? They rejected him. It started with the priests but eventually over that week it creeps down through all the people until Jesus is standing there. The one who had just, think about that, the Jesus that had just risen people, brought people back from the dead, that had just healed the blind, that had fed 5,000 people. That Jesus is sitting there next to a murderer and a rioter named Barabbas and all the people. I want that guy. All the people want anybody in here to reject him. 
I don't want anybody in here to miss out on a life of fruitfulness. It's nothing you can do on your own. It's something that has to be done by the Spirit. But I believe it starts with repentance. You want to come up here, Mike? So what we're going to do now, we're going to eat in a few minutes and we're going to fellowship, but we're going to, I'm going to give people an opportunity to repent. Now you might say, well, what is that? Starts with confessing your sins. Right now, you, as I talked, I've been praying and I have a, a strong feeling the Holy Spirit might have been putting something on your heart. If he has, that's a good thing. That means he's not ready to break you off the branch. That means he wants to fix what's broken. So if God has put something on your heart, maybe something you've done, something you're doing, um, begin to conf- I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess it to him and to say, you know what, God, I recognize this is wrong and it's keeping my life from being fruitful. The other thing about repentance is usually it really works best when there's a little bit of humility involved. If, if, if I were to steal your hat and I walk up and like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I took your hat, I admit it. You gonna forgive me? That's not humility. But if I said, man, I'm, hey, you look good, I'm going bald in the back there, I shouldn't have taken it, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was my mistake. There's a little bit of humility in the way you should approach repentance. And so in order to do those things, would you guys stand up with me right now? The confession part, that's between you and the Lord. You don't have to confess to me anything. It's your sin is between you and him, if there is any. And the humility part, this is where I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to say, humble yourselves. For some people, that might mean taking a knee at their seat. Kneeling need to walk up here in front of everybody. That might be a little embarrassing, a little humbling, and get some prayer from me or my wife or whoever. But I'm not going to make you do anything or force you to do anything, but I will say confession and humility. That's the key right now.